Welcome to TNT with Teresa Quinlan and Reese Thomas. We are friends from across the pond on a life evolution. We want to bring you topics that challenge your status quo, guests that help you think differently, and nuggets of wisdom that spark being. Being what? You. Authentic you. Today we're welcoming Mark Brackett, founding director of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence and a professor in the Child Study Center at Yale University. His research focuses on the role of emotional intelligence in learning, decision-making, creativity, relationships, health, and performance. He's published over 150 scholarly articles, received numerous awards, and is featured regularly in popular media outlets such as The New York Times, Good Morning America, CBS This Morning, and The Today Show. Mark serves on a number of boards, including the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, the nonprofit that founded the field of social and emotional learning. Mark is the lead developer of RULER, a tool that we've talked about on TNT, an evidence-based approach to SEL that has been adopted by over 2,500 public, private, and charter schools across the US and in other countries, including Australia, China, England, Italy, Mexico, and Spain. Research shows that ruler boosts academic performance, decreases school problems like bullying, enriches classroom climates, reduces teacher stress and burnout, and enhances teacher instructional practices. Mark consults regularly with corporations including Facebook, General Electric, Google, Microsoft, and Pinterest on integrating emotional intelligence principles into employee training and product design, and is co-founder of OG Life Lab, a digital emotional intelligence learning system for businesses. And one more thing, Mark's also the author of an incredible book called Permission to Feel, Unlocking the Power of Emotions to Help Our Kids, Ourselves, and Our Society Thrive. Welcome to TNT, Mark. So excited to have you here today. How are you? Well, firstly, thank you for inviting me. And um, I am feeling, I don't know, you seem so friendly and open and ready. And so I'm feeling, I'm feeling ready. Sounds good to me. For those of our listeners who haven't read the book, who don't follow all the articles, can you give us a bit of a, a background in terms of your story as to how emotional intelligence itself has become such a, a founding principle for the work you do and, and, and the purpose that you found? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, as you know, because you've read my book, I didn't have an easy childhood. I had abuse in my childhood that was painful and, and lasted way too long. But I was blessed, you know, I'm giving you the abridged version here that, you know, with all my childhood trauma, I had an uncle who was my mother's brother, who was just an amazing teacher in the Catskill Mountains of New York State. And by some wave of a magic wand, he was developing a curriculum that was infusing what was not called emotional intelligence, but it was emotional intelligence um, into his curriculum. And so he was really special in that he was really interested in teaching kids about their feelings. And the reason why he thought about this is also interesting because he was a band leader at a hotel in the evening. And so he always say like, when I'm playing my trumpet and everybody's dancing and maybe drinking a little bit, right? They're feeling it, but nobody's feeling it in my classroom. And he wanted to figure out the missing link to get kids to be emotionally engaged in learning. And what he realized was it was feelings. And so he wrote a whole curriculum to teach this work in schools. 
And I share that because I just happened to be lucky that when I was going through my struggles and he would stay with us on the weekends because he happened to be getting a master's degree in the town where I was growing up, he would sit with me in the backyard and just ask me, talk, talk to me about feelings of alienation and times of elation and times of despair. And we would just have these open, rich conversations about feelings. And through that experience, I felt, I guess, safe and comfortable to really open up to him. And so that was at 12, 13 years old, you know, very inspiring and influential moment in my life. And then life goes on, you go to high school, go to college. I was kind of clueless in college. I was also now struggling with my own sexual orientation and identity. And so it was like another thing you know, that was challenging and I was in therapy and I'm reading self-help books. And I had this epiphany, you know, at 23 or 24 that I really needed to work with my uncle on a curriculum. And so my uncle at that point in time had retired, pulled him out of retirement and we wrote a book together. And that was the beginning of my career now, 27 years ago. That was a long story. I apologize. That was long-winded. Yeah, that's brilliant. We enjoy the personal share because that helps us to sort of navigate maybe a grounding point for people and their experience becomes the thing that really does guide their life and how they want to give back. So your decision, was it a cognizant decision to intentionally work with kids because of your experience with when you learned it was part of then how you were capable of navigating the rest of your life? Well, like everything for me, it's like everything starts somewhere and then goes someplace else. And so when I was working with my uncle, I had just gotten a bachelor's degree in psychology and Spanish. My uncle was a retired middle school teacher. The missing link for me, because I was also terribly bullied in school, was that I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel connected. I felt alienated and scared and all these strong feelings. And I didn't have strategies to deal with those feelings. And so I suffered. So what I petitioned my uncle to do with me was to write a curriculum based on what he had done and what was happening in psychology. So we started there and it was gonna be for middle school students because he was a middle school teacher. I kind of struggled in adolescence and we, it was like a good match. Mm -hmm. Although a good match is complicated because he was 44 years older than I was when we started this. So a 24 year old working with a 68 year old is kind of fascinating. Yeah. You know, he just wanted to sit in Dunkin' Donuts and drink decaf all day. And I'm like, Uncle Marvin, I don't think I work in Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless, but what happened is that we realized very quickly that most of the adults, at least back in the late 90s, who we asked to do this work, were not really comfortable with it. The adults just weren't prepared to have really in-depth conversations with kids around feelings of despair or alienation or anxiety. And so quickly we learned we had to really work with the adults. And that's when we started on a journey to figure out what do the adults need to learn to be able to implement this work with children. And then I realized that it's not just about parents and teachers, it's really about school leaders. And it's not just about the principals, it's about the superintendent. You know, and so what happened over the course of many, many years is that ruler became, you know, what I like to call a systemic approach to social and emotional learning in that 
it's for all the educators involved in the lives of children, whether they're directly involved or indirectly involved. Fantastic. We mentioned the OG Life Lab as well in the introduction. I wondered if there was anything that, that differentiates the, the ruler systematic approach that you think on an educational level to what you're doing from a, a more advanced adult level. And if there is anything that you, you felt that you learned from kids that was applicable to adults and then vice versa. So the skills are the same. Reading people's emotions, recognizing how people are feeling, we do from infancy until our last days. Emotion regulation, right? We're always, whether we're sucking on our thumbs or getting a cuddle from our parent or caregiver or like shifting our thinking about what has happened to us, right? We're always doing that, you know, and it's developmental. What happened with OG was that for many, many years, I'd be asked to do keynotes at conferences and companies like Charles Schwab, you know, big banking companies or tech companies. And then immediately thereafter, they'd say, well, what, you know, what can you offer us? And I would be like, another presentation? I don't know. And so in collaboration with my co-founders, we decided to build a company that would provide the actual training for people in the workplace. It's different than the work with kids because the examples, it's really just the examples. If you're a customer service person, you're working in hotels, right, at the front desk, the skills of emotional intelligence are pretty darn important. Like if I were, if I owned a hotel, I'd really want my people to be trained in emotional intelligence because the experience that people have, right, entering into your hotel, the emotional experiences are really going to drive whether they come back or not, you know, when they talk about it. It's really just applying the principles and the skills to the context. And that's really, you know, what's different for a teacher is that they have to write an engaging lesson plan to help kids be curious explorers. And for someone who is a manager or the maitre d' of a restaurant, right, they have to figure out how to make people feel comfortable in that spot. Your work seems to have this, it's almost like an ever-expanding cloud. So we have a book, we have the OG Life Lab, we have the Center for Emotional Intelligence. And so you've got like this ever-expanding cloud. And in your introduction, the exposure you have to different types of companies. And I work with clients one-on-one in organizations. And what I'm always looking for when I'm working with them is, is there a thread in really what sparks why people need emotional intelligence or what is most surprising when you step into companies and say, oh, if I pull that thread, everything will be better from here moving forward. With what you've been exposed to, if you've been able to recognize that there is a common thread that needs to be pulled for people to want to get into this work and what the work actually does solve. Yeah. So there's a number of things. The first is, is the concept, you know, the title of my book, you know, which is permission to feel. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that many of us feel as we, as if we have the permission to be our true full feeling selves, whether that be Mark as a husband, whether it be Mark as a director of a center, whether that be Mark, a professor, founder of a company, brother, right? Can I be my true, full feeling self in every one of those roles and contexts? And I think for many of us, it's hard because mostly of the way we grew up. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of us were brought up thinking that there are good emotions and there are bad emotions. I unfortunately experienced a lot of that quote unquote bad ones, right? I was anxious. 
I was lonely. I was scared. I felt shame. And so like, if you're brought up that those are bad emotions that make you weak, it's not very helpful. My whole career is predicated on the idea that we have to wipe away the value judgments on feelings and just call them for what they are, which are real experiences based on things that happen in your life. Mm -hmm. Now, truth is you don't want to feel shame all day long, but it's not that it's a bad emotion. It's that it, well, firstly, like with shame, we don't create shame in our lives. Typically people create it for us. You're too fat, you're too skinny, you're too tall, you're too short, you're too dark, you're too light, whatever it might be. And then you start believing it. And then you start feeling bad about yourself because you're different or inferior. And so that feeling, it's not a comfortable feeling. It's not one I want to experience regularly, but we don't want to call it bad because it's information. It's that labeling of that feeling helps me to figure out what to do with it. And so just like happiness is what everybody says they want to feel, but most people don't even understand happiness because it's hard to be happy all the time. Think about it during a pandemic, you're going to be happy all the time. I'm like begging for like feeling at ease, forget about happy. And so we think of happy is good. Anger is bad. Proud is good. Despair is bad. And I just think we have to wipe away that and just think of emotions as experiences that need to be used wisely to help us have a fulfilled life. Fantastic. I'm glad that you mentioned the pandemic because there was something I really wanted to ask you is re- regards to, we, we've been talking about everyone has an individual experience. Everyone has their their own story that what has contributed to how they show up um, when they meet you in a training session or, or with Teresa and I in a coaching session. But then this collective experience that we've all shared in, in this, you know, I'm thinking particularly about the isolation and, and those kind of things. I'm wondering how, whether you're doing research, whether you found any kind of changes or anything that have come from this shared experience as opposed to the individual things. And if, if that is contributing to any new requirements or new additions to the training, to the teaching, to the adaptability, particularly at the younger level. What we know from our research with adults, I'll just say that first, is that the anxiety levels are like nothing we've ever seen before. Everybody's overwhelmed and anxious. Kids are feeling anxiety, frustration, overwhelmed, bored. They're, they're all over the place. But the adults are pretty exhausted and anxious. And the reason why I think that's important is because knowing where the adults are and what they need to support them in healthy emotion regulation is going to be critical in helping the kids identify their feelings and have strategies to regulate their feelings. Because if you have an anxious, exhausted parent and a frustrated, bored kid, <clears throat> oof, that's a lot. That's a kind of an important thing to unpack for adults to work with kids effectively. For me, in terms of what I've seen, I think the the sense of loneliness and disconnectedness is really taking its toll on people. It's taking a toll on me. I'm, pro, I'm, a, I'm an introvert, but like I am craving social interactions right now. I'm not craving like going to a sports bar with loud music and a I'm craving just being with people and having like face-to-face intimate conversations, just getting some of that energy. You know, you guys look great on Zoom, but you know, 13 months of Zoom meetings is like, oh, it's really painful. So is this where we then get the 
the necessity to connect our social learning and our emotional intelligence because a lot of the times some well yeah a lot of the times in emotional intelligence we're teaching we get to the social part of it eventually but first we teach like you have got to recognize yours regulate yours learn how to manage yep. yours learn how to cultivate your own levels of well-being and then you can reach out and start and try doing that with other people. Like sometimes the models and emotional intelligence work in that sort of staged process. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the necessity of the social element to our emotional intelligence? Well, I think this is one of the challenges that people don't understand with the work is that we don't like emotions are in our heads because it's where our brains are, but they get evoked from changes in the world. Teresa, you say something that maybe is hurtful or read, do you give me some, you know, here, Mark, here's a, here's a $500 reward. So things are happening that are evoking the feelings. Emotional intelligence is inherently a social process. I want to just put that out there. Like people, oh, that's the emotion piece. That's like only the self. I'm like, no, no, no. It's all together. Now, like the regulation strategy, I have to learn how to behave in my society and you know, how to get the things that I need to, to get ahead and to get the support I might need. And so those are more specific social skills, you know, that I have to learn. I see them all so inextricably linked. Mm -hmm. And I think that we try to separate them too much because to have a difficult conversation, I got to really access my feelings. I've got to access the other person's feelings. I got to get to know that person really well so that I could not activate them or trigger them in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for me personally, this last couple of weeks, I've, uh, you know, we've had a load of things happening. We've had, um, you know, highs and lows. We've had these, we've had puppies. So we've had six puppies in the house. And for the first six wow. weeks, it was just fun. It's just a lot of fun. We've just a lot of love, unconditional love. But, you know, honestly, the last 10 days have been nonstop, relentless from morning to noon. And I've done all the work. I know all the processes. I know the things, the techniques and everything. And I start off in the peaceful Zen mode and, duh, duh, that, and it's just over, repeat, repeat, repeat. And it was like, regulate, regulate. And then by the end of the day, I'm just like, it's all gone. Like, I feel empty. I feel like, and I feel yeah. I've been like exploding in, in a way that I haven't done in years, you know, since I've been doing this kind of stuff. And, and it made me think like, oh, maybe it's all this stuff that I've been saying is all great and I'm fine. And we've all been, uh, we've, you know, the things we've been missing, like you said, the social connection, all that kind of stuff. And we well, also might just be overwhelming yourself. <laughs> well, yeah, I, you know, I, I, that's true. And, and you know, my wife has said that as well. But uh, <laughs> I think the, the thing is, like, we we don't know, especially here in the UK, we're still in lockdown. Like, we've been in lockdown for, like, the last three months, the third time. Mm -hmm. When there is no social aspect to relieve that, to experience that, to um, learn from, is this something that, you know, all our listeners at home who are sat probably in their own room and haven't been out, haven't been able to do anything, we can go into ruler if you like, but is there something that particularly is yeah. that regulate bit? That's the bit that, that is the hardest bit when you're kind of at that edge to, to manage. So I think what you're getting at really has to do with emotion regulation, right? The last R in ruler, yes. which is historically we would think of it as anger management, stress reduction kind of stuff. And we really take a much more holistic view of that. Um, so for you, you know, you're talking about, you know, your routines are probably not working for you. You know, I want to know, you know, what are you eating? What are you drinking? I want to know what time you're going to sleep. I want to know how you're fitting in physical activity. I want to know how you're feeling, feeling in quality time with your family, your puppies, kids, wife. 
And that would be the data that I would need to like really support you in thinking through, you know, what might help you feel less drained, et cetera. And then there's the kind of more cognitive work that we have to do. For example, like what are the stories that you're telling yourself throughout the day? Are you like, I can't take this anymore. I have six puppies. I'm a, it's ridiculous. And, and now I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Like I'm terrible at this and I'm such an idiot. Right? I would want to know your self-talk. Does it feel like you're in therapy now a little bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm here. I came here tonight. This is exactly what I was hoping for. Yeah. So yeah, the self-care has definitely been at the bottom of my list. The, um, the, the negative self-talk has been, uh, you know, prevalent that you know you you talked about the feelings of you know shame or guilt and you just think oh I know I shouldn't be doing that but I just can't seem to kind of it still happens like by the end of the day like morning fine lunchtime cool afternoon all right evening and then you've got you know toddler bedtime all that kind of scenario as well on top of everything and Mm -hmm. that's it and yes the the diet the sleeping all of those things are not optimum um, levels that they should be so yeah you're absolutely right that's like part of the game of life Mm -hmm. right is sure like i didn't sleep well last night i went to bed really late so i look a little tired and it's because i am tired i'm still present and alert but i'm like i'm tired and it's it's harder it's harder when you're tired period that's why before this meeting i took a walk and then i had lunch and i'm like full and then i had made a cup of coffee but it takes about a half hour for coffee to really kick in so in about five minutes, I'll be Mr. Jumping Bean. It's complicated. Part of the reason why I'm so interested in education and doing this work with children, it's harder to change us as adults. It can't, it's possible and we can do it. Usually we'll do it for monetary reasons. Like, oh, I'll get more money if I go through this training at my job, or it'll improve my relationship with my wife who wants to divorce me or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Or my kids, you know, don't want to be with me anymore. Um, so maybe there's more extrinsic motivators to support you in changing with children the way i like to think about it is that this becomes part of their dna yeah if you do this in preschool and kindergarten and first and second think about it for a minute you have a kid who's in a school that takes this work seriously over here and a kid in a school that doesn't address their social emotional needs or teach these skills they're learning feeling words they're learning to identify their causes and consequences and they're learning about their friends' feelings, their teachers' feelings, their parents' feelings. They're having discussions about those feelings in social studies and science and language arts. They're talking about best strategies to regulate those feelings and what works for them and what doesn't work for them over and over and over again. You know, think about it like sad, disappointment, hopelessness, despair, like these intense emotions. Every one of those conversations is rich. It builds your brain muscles, all that activity around perspective taking and self-awareness and language here and these kids nothing like it's an injustice really when i go to schools to visit our program in action i get envious because i'm thinking i had to unlearn all the crap that i learned and i got to learn the new stuff and then i got to rehearse that and practice it for the rest of my life which i'm committed to but these kids are learning this stuff from such an early age that it becomes more a part of who they are, which is pretty cool. The rigidness at the beginning of the exploration mm-hmm. is a big hurdle to get through. I've tried that before. I've done that before. It didn't work for me before. And overcoming those hurdles and like, you haven't, you haven't tried it before. Look, I get you've exercised before, but you've not exercised after figuring out that how you talk to yourself is part of the problem is why you don't sustain exercise. 
or why you choose not to eat healthier. So I totally agree and see it in the work that it is harder in adults. It's much easier. And then that skill set lasts you your entire life, which mm-hmm. is what I think is really very exciting about the work and the approach that you're doing is can we just get it in everyone's curriculum? Which prompts me to want to know whose work excites you? Well, it depends on like what area. Like, so for example, in the science of emotion, you know, I have a number of researchers that I really look up to. One of them is Lisa Feldman Barrett, who is a very influential thinker in this space of emotion. A man named James Gross, who's a scientist of emotion regulation at Stanford University, thinking about the principles of equity as they apply to children in different schools is very important to me. So I've been thinking a lot about that. Are all children getting what they need? You know, we're making sure that we're giving the resources to the kids who need this work the most or need the greatest amount of supports. And then I'm on the board of an education organization called CASEL, the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning. I'm inspired by just the systemic thinking, mostly really at this point in my life, thinking about how do you scale something with quality and with long-term results and sustainability at the core. So anybody who can help me with that, I, I love. <laughs> yes, please. Okay, so uh, Teresa alluded to a, a previous episode that we had talked about. She's emotional intelligence and mindfulness. She was coming with, with your ruler practice, uh, and I was coming with the RAIN practice. So I wanted to ask your thoughts on how you see they differ. What is the last letter again? In, in ruler, it's the regulate, and, and in, in RAIN, it's the non-identification. And I wanted to you know, ask your take on, on, on how they, they differ, how they're the same, and in and, and particular, non-identification bit. I think that emotional intelligence and mindfulness practices are inextricably linked. Mm-hmm. I think that we have different terms sometimes. I think the emotional intelligence work focuses a little bit more on the skill building pieces of it, like the facial expressions and the body language of other people and understanding the different causes of feelings, like cognitively understanding that anger is about injustice and disappointment is about unmet expectations and anxiety is about uncertainty overwhelmed is overcome by feeling states. And I think that's important because when we're doing those mindfulness-based practices and we're trying to build self-awareness, that granularity that can come from having the emotional intelligence training and practice can be very helpful in my opinion. And so whenever, when you can build that language to identify feeling, and so when you're engaging in a mindfulness-based this, you're clear about your actual emotional experiences it'll help you identify the strategy that will work best for you. And so mindfulness to me is a critical strategy, but it's not the be all end all for everybody. Um, I think sometimes you gotta have a difficult conversation with somebody, right? I think sometimes you really do have to shift your thinking entirely because you've made up a story that's not true about somebody or something. And so I see them as linked together And I think the practices involved in building self-awareness and reflection and active listening to oneself and others are really helpful to build emotional intelligence skills. And I think the emotional intelligence skills can help make your mindfulness practice even better. That's why we work work so well, Teresa. We do, yes. (laughs) I get super curious with our guests around their practices, ones they find that they turn to most often to help them, one, identify, to help them cultivate, perhaps, emotions of wellness. So what are some of yours, Mark? 
Exercise is important to me. I try to do it every day, some form of exercise. Um, sleep is becoming more and more important to me. I, I always like nature, but I've never intentionally done that kind of like get out into the world and like take walks by the water. I've been doing that lately and love it. Mm -hmm. um, it's just so freeing and the air feels better and the space feels different. And that my number one go-to strategy is reappraisal. You know, I do a lot of self-blame. I do a lot of self-criticism. I also can catastrophize. Like when something goes wrong, I can go into a, like a dark place and perseverate for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. I have to take a breath. <sighs> okay, Mark, how much control do you have over this or not? How can I look at this from a different lens or a different perspective? And then gratitude. I know sometimes it feels like kind of overdone, the whole gratitude thing. But I have to say, you know, I feel blessed to be in a place that I'm in in life. And I really am grateful every moment of my day for being healthy, for being in a great marriage. I, I don't take it for granted. I think of it, I'm really just like, I look around, I'm like, wow. Because I didn't come from these this kind of circumstance that I live in. And so I'm blessed. I really appreciate that because one of the things that is a common question is, oh, you work in emotional intelligence, which means like you've got it. You've got it and everything's like fine. No, I definitely, I definitely don't got it. I'm working yeah. on it. Aren't you always happy? <laughs> yeah. So like clarifying definitely that not. it's the constant practice of the skill set. Like once you learn the skill, the constant mm -hmm. practice is what allows you to, when you're feeling emotions, because we all do, mm -hmm. allows you to understand them and practice something that allows you to resolve them, recover from them, especially if they are one that's unpleasant with a high state of arousal and makes you behave in ways that you would rather not behave. Totally. <laughs> that's what it helps you to do. You know, in my book, I call it, you know, being in learning mode as opposed to knowing mode mm. or being that endless compassionate emotion scientist as opposed to that critical emotion judge. Every day, building that awareness, like how am I feeling? Is this working for me? If it's not working, what's my strategy? Having a lot of strategies is really important. Agreed. Yeah, sometimes one just doesn't cut it. And so you need to have several to fall back on in your, in your toolkit, as you say, Teresa. Um, okay, so as we get towards the end of the hour, our guests to, to share something with our listeners so they can go from just kind of thinking differently to doing differently and then to being differently. So I'm wondering if you could share some kind of tool for all us parents out there or some, something that we can do that can help have that positive impact at, at that young age or whatever age it might be that will help shift from you know a negative to a positive? Well, I think one is you might think about your best self as a parent. How do you want to be seen and talked about and experienced as that adult role model of emotional intelligence? And then the second is be the role model. How can I be the best possible role model for my kid? Am I practicing what I'm asking my kid to do? Third, I think is, does my kid know that I love them unconditionally? Am I being that compassionate emotion scientist for my kid to find out what they're really feeling? Well, what might be the underlying causes of their feelings? Um, that's the you and ruler. Am I helping them label their feelings accurately? That's the L and ruler and follow up. Am I creating the conditions for them to be comfortable expressing their feelings to me? And then am I 
supporting them and finding the strategies that work best for them, not the ones that I think work best for them. <laughs> That's important, right? Because we tend to want everybody to like do the things that we like. For example, in my relationship, I'm, I, I can't sleep at night if I have had a fight with my partner. I got to get through it. I just want to solve it and like be friends again. Um, but that doesn't always work. Some people you meet, they're like, you know, go blank yourself. I don't apologizing. Like I'm, I'm hurt still. I need time to process this. It's not for me to judge. It's for me to support that person through their process of managing their feelings in the way that works best for them. Mm -hmm. So that applies to couples, bosses, and employees, and parents and kids. So true. Thank you very much. Um, all right. So before we get to the rapid fire Q and A, um, okay. I know all of our listeners will want to find out more about you, how they can connect with you, how they can um, find out more about the work you, you you got coming up. Is there anything particular on the horizon that you wanted to mention? I think the best place to go is my website, Mark with a C, M A R C, bracket B R A C K E T T dot com. And from there, you can learn about ruler in schools. You can learn about OG Life Labs in the workplace. You can look at our Mood Meter app that has been very popular and people have used that. Um, you can learn about my book. So you can go there and get free articles and explore emotional intelligence. Fantastic. We'll make sure we put all of those information in, in the show notes. So um, thank you. All right. Thank you very much for sharing, sharing that's that, uh, Mark. Uh, now we finish with our rapid fire Q&A. Five questions, whatever's on your heart. All right, number one, uh, which emotion catches you off guard most often? Shocked, bewildered, like that kind of like, can't believe this has happened. Like what the heck just happened? <laughs> and, and then second question, what do you do to regulate that emotion in the moment? You know, I always go to my breath because I need to deactivate. And then I try to like, all right, gather information and then work on that self-talk or reappraise or reach out to somebody thank you um and number three what's next in your personal evolution well i'm moving and so i'm very excited about moving to a more country-like lifestyle i keep on telling my family i'm like two minutes away from getting a horse i'm not getting a horse <laughs> but i like pretend that i am <laughs> um, i could never take care of a horse but like the fantasy of like having a horse just like really excites me so who knows? I mean, many, many years from now, maybe I'll have a horse. I don't know. Maybe I'll just go horseback riding every other weekend in my somewhere in my house. But sounds good. Never say never. Um, yeah. Uh, number four. When your best friend is having a meltdown, what do you say to them? Get over it. No, just kidding. <laughs> it's funny. I, Michelle, who you mentioned, who is my assistant, who I adore, she was having a, you know getting upset about something a while ago, and I'm like, don't cry. And then we both just started laughing. Like here I am, like the emotional intelligence, you know, person telling my assistant not to cry. We just laughed for like 15 minutes about that one. All those patterns slip in, right? Yeah. I, they're having a meltdown. What do you need right now? Number five, last but not least, in this moment, what are you most looking forward to or most hopeful for? I guess I think that every crisis is an opportunity and that, I'm hopeful that while I think it really stinks that we've had a pandemic, we've lost so many lives and created so much emotional distress, that it really has opened people's eyes up to the value and importance of emotional intelligence. And so I'm hopeful that we're going to make greater progress in, in helping people learn these skills to, so they can have better lives. 
Here, here. Thank you so much, Mark. It's been a real honor to have you on the show. I really appreciate diving deeper into the, you know, the ruler of emotional intelligence and um, having see Fangirl here getting a little bit flustered and she's usually so calm and collected. I feel and, bad. I feel like I should have been like really high energy. And... Yeah, thank you so much. It's, it's just a pleasure. Like, I just appreciate your accessibility yeah. because I think it speaks to your connection to why you want to do this work. That's how we make waves that have impact. So tons of gratitude. It's been a pleasure to spend this time with you. I appreciate you inviting me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of TNT. Please share, subscribe, rate, and review. And when you're ready for your personal evolution, check out Reese at trueselfcoaching.com. And for your emotional intelligence revolution, check out Teresa at iqeqtq.com.